This is an unbecoming repost. Lyme disease is a bioweapon. It was deployed against us in 1975 from Plum Island, Connecticut. Proper diagnosis and treatment have been hidden, and it has likely infected a double-digit percent of the world's people. I start with a quote by Oscar Wilde, Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I take my admiration to extremes. I copy key posts like this one. Just who is unbecoming? Whoever he is, I cannot keep up with him. My few additions to his work are in italics, and the original I have a link to. When I first heard about Lyme, I was 26 years old and in a Dartmouth dermatology residency. We were all fascinated by this new disease and its target skin rash. The dermatologist, in a typical attempt to baffle other doctors and claim it for themselves, dubbed it erythema chronicum migrans. I saw a few cases like this, and I have a picture of the target. Most of what I was trying to learn was less exciting and consisted of endless picayune academics. I wanted to get into the New Hampshire mountains and rock climb and hike the Appalachian Trail. I couldn't focus, so the dermoids kicked me out of the program at the end of the year. Here's the CDC's description of Lyme. It is the most common vector-borne disease in the United States. Lyme disease is caused by the bacterium Borrelia burgdorferi and rarely Borrelia mayoni. It is transmitted to humans through the bite of an infected black-legged tick. Typical symptoms include fever, headache, fatigue, and a characteristic skin rash called erythema migrans. If left untreated, infection can spread to joints, the heart, and the nervous system. Lyme disease is diagnosed based on symptoms, physical findings, that's a rash, and the possibility of exposure to infected ticks. Laboratory testing is helpful if used correctly and performed with validated methods. Most cases of Lyme can be treated successfully with a few weeks of antibiotics. Steps to prevent Lyme disease include using insect repellent, removing ticks promptly, applying pesticides, and reducing tick habitat. The ticks that transmit Lyme disease can occasionally transmit other tick-borne diseases as well. I abridged and narrated the rest of this post, which is all unbecomings. At the end are hidden treatments that work. So here's Unbecoming, and he wrote, Toby Rogers wrote this in September 2022. Learned helplessness, having Lyme, chronic fatigue syndrome, or an autoimmune disorder is like wearing an electric dog shock collar that you cannot take off. Every time you try to engage with the world, the thing shocks you, and you're worse off than if you'd never tried at all. Over years and years, it creates learned helplessness. What's troubling to me, especially given the history of Lyme, it's likely an American-made bioweapon, is that the ability to create learned helplessness in a population is highly desired by governments. The peasants cannot overthrow the feudal system if they're wearing biological shock collars that constrain their ability to dream, think, and act. We've got to find ways to cure these conditions. Healing is a revolutionary act. Back to unbecoming again. This put Lyme as a bioweapon on my radar. So I read Newby's book, Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons, 2020. 
And this passage from Rancourt's recent essay jolted me into writing this article. And here he is. I do not mean that the Department of Defense does not fund gain of function and bioweapon research abroad in particular. I do not mean that there are not many U.S. patents for genetically modified microbial organisms having potential military applications, and I do not mean that there have not previously been impactful escapes or releases of bioweapon vectors and pathogens. For example, the Lyme disease controversy in the USA may be an example of a bioweapon leak. See Chris Newby's 2019 book, Bitten. Here's unbecoming, unbecoming summary. The U.S. military weaponized ticks. The U.S. military used these weaponized ticks on foreign soil against both military personnel and civilians. The U.S. engaged in uncontrolled releases on U.S. soil. A strange, quote, mysterious new disease emerged. Its connection to ticks was purposefully discovered Willie Bergdorfer, a scientist. He was hailed as a hero. Turns out Willie was one of the lead scientists who years earlier had weaponized the ticks. You can't make this stuff up. The U.S. medical establishment denied the existence of a new disease and attacked doctors who diagnosed or tried to treat it. The U.S. medical establishment now profits from Lyme. After hearing about several other of the U.S. government's, quote, theatrical productions, including COVID, COVID vaccines, AIDS, smallpox, DDT, polio, childhood vaccines, fluoride, and glyphosate, it was easy to understand ticks and Lyme. Ticks have a special place in my heart. We live in St. Ives, one of the tick capitals of Sydney, Australia. When we bought the house, I remember the real estate agent telling us all the amazing features of the suburb, and they were all true, but he left out the ticks. So for the last 20 years, we accumulated a number of tick stories. Our kids and cats were regularly bitten and treated. Our most serious story happened when my wife was bitten by a small army of ticks and was unwell for several months. She, quote, luckily came down with a kidney stone, so the hospital flushed her with IV antibiotics and inadvertently killed whatever infection she had picked up from the ticks. Thank God for the kidney stone anyway. The daughter of a friend of ours contracted Lyme disease but couldn't get a doctor in Australia to diagnose it. She was forced to travel to the U.S. to work with a doctor who helped her treat it over a long period of time. It never crossed my mind, even for a second, that anyone would have spent decades trying to figure out how to weaponize ticks and all manner of bacteria and viruses. But that's exactly what they did. I remember saying to my wife that tick design was simply perfect. They would crawl up your leg without you knowing and burrow into your skin to secrete their toxins and drink your blood. By the time you felt them, it was too late. Turns out the U.S. military decided in the 1940s that ticks were perfectly designed for what they needed to do. One of the reasons I think the tick slash Lyme story is so important is because it, via Newbie's book, supplies a window straight into who, quote, they are. The book names names. It's such a good book that I've decided to make it my first book summary. Hopefully this will help a large number of people learn the story in one sitting. If you enjoy this, I think you will enjoy the book even more. And this is Bitten by Chris Newby, book summary, and there's a download link. The following are quotes and summaries of sections of the book. 
reported cases of Lyme disease have quadrupled in the United States since the 1990s. In 2017, there were 42,743 cases of Lyme disease reported to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. The scientists at the CDC who study the spread of diseases now say that the actual cases may be 10 times higher than reported or 427,000 cases. On average, this means there are about 1,000 new Lyme cases in the U.S. per day. While all the pieces of this public-facing story are true, they don't represent the whole truth. Shortly before his death, Willie was videotaped saying that he believed that the outbreak of tick-borne diseases that started around Lyme, Connecticut, had been caused by a bioweapon release. It was a stunning admission, but it could explain why the condition we call Lyme disease is so hard to diagnose and treat, and why the epidemic is spreading so far and so fast. If anyone else had said this, I might have walked away, but Willie was the person with the most to lose. When this information came to light, his legacy would be destroyed. And because of this horrible secret, the foundational science behind Lyme disease was compromised and patients were being harmed. What Willie soon learned was that this lab full of researchers who love bugs was being funded primarily because of the government's need for disease vaccines. The U.S. Public Health Service, which would later be renamed the National National Institutes of Health, paid for the lab by developing, manufacturing, and distributing vaccines for spotted fever, encephalomyelitis, relapsing fever, yellow fever, and other diseases transmitted from animal or arthropod vectors to man. On the lab tour, Coles told Willie the history of how the lab mass-produced ticks and rickettsia rickettsii organisms to produce vaccines. In the 1920s, researchers there instructed thousands of, injected thousands of guinea pigs and rabbits with these live organisms, then placed ticks on the infected animals and allowed them to feed for a couple of days. They would douse bacteria-laden ticks with formalin, grind them up, and use the filtered, diluted tick juice as a vaccine. The vaccine fluid included tiny fragments of protein that, when injected under a person's skin, would stimulate a protective immune response. In her 2005 book, Biological Weapons, From the Invention of State-Sponsored Programs to Contemporary Bioterrorism, medical anthropologist Jeannie Galemian, now a senior fellow in the Security Study Program at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, describes the political situation as Willie became one of the 13,000 civilian employees of the U.S. Chemical and Biological Weapons Program. Here's her quote. The atomic bomb and the Cold War signaled a momentous change in the U.S. biological weapons program. The vision of the scale of intentionality, intentionally spreading disease, expanded to strategic attacks on a par with the destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and with the Soviet Union and its allies as potential targets. To staff this massive scientific effort, the Army recruited young scientists such as Willie, often funding them through the U.S. Public Health Service, later the National Institutes of Health, and the National Academy of Sciences. The secrecy of these projects was modeled on the strict strict guidelines developed for the Manhattan Project, whose scientists had had to sign confidentiality agreements and had not even been informed about the ultimate purpose 
behind their experiments, weapons development. There was a method behind this madness. In most cases, bacteria from one region wouldn't thrive inside ticks from another region because it takes many generations for a microbe and a tick species to develop a mutually beneficial relationship so one species doesn't kill the other. When Willie found a compatible pair, Fort Detrick would add that agent-slash-tick combination to its list of potential biological weapons. The weapons designers were looking for a tick that wouldn't arouse the suspicion of an enemy country, filled with an agent for which the target enemy population wouldn't have natural immunity. Here's a quote. On a most discreet, strictly need-to-know basis, defense is to submit a plan by 2 February on what it can do to put a majority of workers out of action, unable to work in cane fields and sugar mills, for a significant period for the remainder of this harvest. It is suggested that such planning consider non-lethal bioweapons, insect-borne. And that is about the Cuba Project in top-secret memorandum, Brigadier General Lansdale, January 19, 1962. And this next quote is from a biological subcommittee munitions advisory group, October 27 to 28, 1966. Dr. A.N. Gorlick reviewed the characteristics of viral and rickettsial agents currently in the program. The use of multiple agents to achieve prolonged incapacitation was also being investigated. Here's another quote. Advances in microbial genetics had opened up the potential of manipulating viruses and rickettsias to create more powerful weapons, both lethal and incapacitating. The perfect incapacitating agent was one that made a large percentage of a population moderately ill for weeks to months. The illness it caused would have to be hard to diagnose and treat, and under the best circumstances, the target population shouldn't even be aware they'd been dosed with a bioweapon. This would make it easier for invading, vaccinated soldiers to take over cities, and industrial infrastructure without much of a fight or the destruction of property. In the Infectious Disease Society of America, IDSA guidelines, chronic Lyme isn't classified as an ongoing persistent infection. It's considered either an autoimmune syndrome in which the body's immune system attacks itself or a psychological condition caused by the, quote, aches and pains of daily living or, quote, prior traumatic psychological events. These guidelines were often used by medical insurers to deny treatment, and many of its authors are paid consulting fees to testify as expert witnesses in these insurance cases. In some states, the guideline recommendations take on the force of law so that Lyme physicians who practice outside them are at risk of losing their medical licenses. Bottom line, the guidelines authors regularly convened in government-funded, closed-door meetings with hidden agendas that lined the pockets of academic researchers who had significant commercial interests in Lyme disease tests and vaccines. A large percentage of government grants were awarded to the guideline authors and or researchers in their labs. The U.S. conducted some, quote, large area coverage, unquote, vulnerability tests on an unsuspecting public over the years. For example, in the 1950s, the U.S. Navy sprayed a two-mile-long line of aerosolized, quote, simulant off the coast of San Francisco. 
Newby described how effective such an attack could be if the weather conditions were right. I pondered why Lyme disease researchers were so much more paranoid than their rickettsial counterparts. Thinking back on my research for the Lyme documentary, Under Our Skin, I concluded that there was much more money at stake with Lyme disease. It was the first major new disease discovered after the Bay, Low, Bay Dole Act and the Diamond versus Chuck Rabarti Supreme Court decision made it possible for the NIH, the CDC, and universities to patent and profit from, quote, ownership of live organisms. When the causative organ, organism behind Lyme disease was announced, something akin to the Oklahoma land rush of 1889 began, as scientists when the, within these institutions began furiously filing patents on the surface proteins and DNA of the Lyme spirochete, hoping to profit from future vaccines and diagnostic tests that use these markers. For example, an NIH employee who patents a bacterial surface protein used in a commercial test kit or a vaccine could receive up to $150,000 in royalty payments a year, an amount that might double his or her annual salary. All of a sudden, the institutions that were supposed to be protectors of public health became business partners with Big Pharma. The university researchers who had previously shared information on dangerous emerging diseases were now delaying publishing their findings so they could become entrepreneurs and profit from patents through their university technology transfer groups. We essentially lost our system of scientific checks and balances. And this, in turn, has undermined patient trust in the institutions that are they're supposed to do no harm. With Lyme disease, there's no profit incentive for proactively treating someone with a few weeks of inexpensive off-patent antibiotics. It's the patentable vaccines and mandatory tests before treatment that bring in the steady revenues year after year. More than a decade after the tick bite that changed my life, I had a deeper understanding of the Lyme problem from the scientific, political, and policy point of view. I knew that the infectious disease departments at most major medical centers, including Stanford, were simply following the iron-fisted IDSA Lyme guidelines that state that chronic Lyme is not an infectious disease and that it can't be treated with long-term antibiotics. If Dr. D had kept us on as patients, he might have been reprimanded or even fired. And to his credit, he was the first to test us for Lyme, and that ultimately put us on the path to wellness. Here is an excellent book review by David Swanson. It's entitled, Where Lyme Disease Came From and Why It Eludes Treatment. It's on counterpunch.org. In July of 1975, a new or very rare disease appeared in Old Lyme, Connecticut, just north of Plum Island. And what was on Plum Island? A germ warfare lab to which the U.S. government had brought former Nazi germ warfare scientists in the 1940s to work on the same evil work for a different employer. These included the head of the Nazi germ warfare program who had worked directly for Heinrich Himmler. On Plum Island was a germ warfare lab that frequently conducted its experiments out of doors. After all, it was on an island. What could go wrong? Documents record outdoor experiments with diseased ticks in the 1950s when we know that the United States was using such weaponized life forms in North Korea. 
even Plum Island's indoors, where participants admit to experiments with ticks, was not sealed tight. And test animals mingled with wild deer, test birds, and wild birds. Here's Swanson's summary of his book. In the book, Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons, by Chris Newby, the author sheds light on the origins of Lyme disease and its potential connection to biological weapons. Newby suggests that the most likely source of the disease-carrying ticks is Plum Island, a U.S. government facility known for conducting experiments on biological weapons, including insects. The book complements Michael Christopher's Carroll's work, Lab 257, The Disturbing Story of the Government's Secret Germ Laboratory which also points to Plum Island as a probable source. Newby re- reveals the research conducted by Willie Bergdorfer, a scientist credited with discovering the cause of Lyme disease, who may have intentionally infected ticks with diseases for military purposes. The book highlights the need for declassifying information about open-air bioweapons tests and emphasizes the role of profit interests and government corruption in hindering proper handling of Lyme disease. This is unbecoming key takeaways from the article. Number one, the book Bitten explores the origins of Lyme disease and its potential connection to Plum Island. Plum Island is believed to be the most likely source of the disease-carrying ticks. Willie Bergdorfer, a scientist credited with identifying the cause of Lyme disease, may have intentionally infected ticks with diseases for military purposes. The book calls for the declassification of information about open-air bioweapons tests to address the damage caused by tick-borne diseases. Profit interests and government corruption are suggested as factors contributing to the mishandling of Lyme disease. The anthrax attacks in 2001, another product of U.S. bioweapons research, served to augment false narratives about the Iraq War. The book highlights the importance of avoiding false blame of Lyme disease on other countries. Public understanding of Lyme disease should be based on factual information and the need for proper prevention and treatment. Uh, here's some more excerpts from Newby uh, from the article. Newby claims, quote, Newby claims in 2019 that if a scientist named Willie Bergdorfer had not made a confession in 2013, the secret that Lyme disease came from a biological weapons program would have died with him. The outbreak of unusual tick-borne disease around Long Island Sound actually started in 1968, and it involved three diseases, Lyme arthritis, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, and babiosis, babesiosis. And, of course, Pfizer is developing a vaccine for Lyme disease. And here is an article from Children's Health Defense, and it's entitled Lyme Disease Vaccine. Pfizer launches Phase 3 trial targeting kids, adults, and... Pfizer has initiated the final phase of testing for an experimental vaccine aimed at preventing Lyme disease in individuals age 5 and above. The company plans to develop a seasonal vaccine that can be administered during the months when ticks, the disease vector, are most active. This vaccine, called VLA-15, targets the outer surface protein of the Borrelia bacteria responsible for Lyme disease and aims to protect against multiple strains prevalent in North America and Europe. 
The phase three clinical trial will involve 6,000 participants and will assess the efficacy of three doses of VLA-15 or a placebo followed by a booster dose. Pending successful trials, Pfizer may seek regulatory approval for the vaccine in the U.S. and Europe by 2025. Lyme disease affects a significant number of people each year, and the demand for a vaccine is higher than ever. If approved, this vaccine could be the first human Lyme disease vaccine available in two decades. And here's unbecoming key key takeaways. Pfizer has initiated the final phase of testing for a seasonal vaccine aimed at preventing Lyme. The clinical trial will involve 6,000 participants age 5 and above. The vaccine aims to protect against multiple strains. Lyme disease affects a significant number of people each year, so the demand is high. Previous attempts to develop Lyme disease vaccine have faced challenges in profitability, but the growing market may change that perspective. So here's a section that I wrote about therapy. If you think you have Lyme, you probably do. If you think Pfizer will save you with a vaccine, you likely also believe in the Easter Bunny. To see the current fictions about Lyme's diagnosis and treatment, I have a link to Wikipedia. Part of it is true. For better advice, contact Ken Stoller, MD. And I have a link for you. His interviews with me and his website are at these links. He says that a double-digit percentage of U.S. citizens are infected. To treat the disease, he uses hyperbaric oxygen and Alenia, which is a trademark for a benign anti-parasite drug that you can buy from Indian pharmacies. Chlorine dioxide, CDS, also seems likely to be a cure. And I have a draft post link for my post, which you can access from this post. If you manage to kill the spirochetes, they release toxins that can make you sick. This is called a Herxheimer reaction, and both Alenia and CDS potentially provoke it. So you should get help from Ken or another experienced doctor. If you do not, your initial doses should be low. And I put in parentheses, I never give medical advice. Use your best judgment and doctors for that. Reference. The following is a beautifully filmed video about the history and life cycles of ticks. It describes the discovery of Lyme disease in Lyme, Connecticut and spread to Germany. It also describes how they bite and infect mammals, vaccines for ticks. What kind of an idiot would believe in that? The eccentric scientists studying ticks and how the ticks carry and transmit the Lyme disease spirochete. No mention is made of the disease's origin as a U.S. bioweapon or it would not be on YouTube. So here's my pitch. Please dig me up some subscribers. I pick up people at Costco and you can too.